Welcome to the one within all to another Interverse podcast, this time with the Super Spider-Verse crew. Just like that Cholulu episode, that's my nickname for Cthulhu. Uh, we got Kaylee Burkana, Mario from Symbolic Studies, Juan Ayala from One on One Podcast, and Slick Dissident, the one and only, a.k.a. Gabriel. And we're going to be mixing it up in this crazy world of rocketry, sex magic, drugs, and all of the above. The life and times of Jack Parsons, not exactly a biographical conversation, although there will be plenty of that. We seek to explore the symbolic and synchromistic connections between the science fiction world and our current reality, as it seems that we're slipping further and closer into transhumanism. It's very interesting to note that much of what happens in the technological world seems to have a precedent in science fiction preceding it. We explored that a little bit with the Call of Cthulhu in the HP Lovecraft episode that this entire gang did together about a month ago, maybe not a month, but not long ago. And man, this whole thing seems to just be riddled with what I consider a corruption of the Gnostic ideal that there is a jailbreaking needing to be done to this reality that by practicing the objective, objectively abject, the darkest and dirtiest things that one can do, you might be able to pierce through the dome and find a way to the heavens without having actually earned a place there. It seems like that's what it's all about with these characters we're going to be discussing, like Jack Parsons, the founder of JPL and one of the founding fathers of NASA, although they probably like to hide it. <laughs> so I have a lot of questions about this. I'm probably being a little too verbose for how much we need to discuss. I'm mostly going to hang back. I'm claiming the producer seat and I just want to learn from these guys. But if you are tuning into this and you didn't hear Juan's recent episode on the one-on-one podcast about Jack Parsons with his buddy HP Shovecraft, highly recommend that. I'll make sure and drop a link in the comments for it. And yeah, all of this seems very bizarre. I actually kind of think that the entire NASA story, its origin story and the Jack Parsons insanity has a lot to do with creating a more solidified worldview warfare to get everybody believing in this bail ball earth. But that's just me. I'm sure we don't all necessarily agree on that. But I better go around the horn and let everyone introduce themselves. We've got, first of all, let's just go ahead and start with Kaylee. Let them know, you know, what you do, where you can be found. And we'll just go in order from uh, clockwise on the screen here. Sure. Yeah. Hey, my name is Kaylee. Um, you can find me on uh, YouTube, on Minds, on Odyssey, on Rumble, all under the same name, Kaylee Bracana. I also just launched a Telegram channel. Um, and yeah, I do astrology and tarot readings, and I love looking into interesting mysteries. So that's been lots of fun. And then my name is Mario. Uh, I have a channel called Symbolic Studies. So you can basically find all of my information at symbolicstudies.com. But I make really short uh, astrological videos, um, mostly related to their symbolism and mythology and archetypal nature. So yeah, I'm stoked to be here. This is an awesome topic. And there's so many things to talk about. All right, Gabriel. Gabriel from Slick Dissident channel over on the YouTube. I also get down with those spiders on Saturdays and Wednesdays. Weaving spiders welcome. You probably don't even need an introduction on my channel at this point. I don't think so. <laughs> yep. What you got, Juan? 
You can call me the rabbit hole master because <laughs> that's what I'm all about. Juan from the Juan Juan podcast. I'm excited to see what we can link up and weave together here because I got a lot of interesting points I want to bring up and see where we go with it. So we got a lot of different points of views, which I'm excited for. Yeah, I want to say what's up to everybody in the chat. I see Gordy, Alan, JLo, Cody, and many more. Robert over on the Rockfin side. Wouldn't be the worst idea in the world to share this out with whoever you think might be interested in this really weird subject matter. And know that we're going to be putting the second portion of the conversation just exclusive to my Rockfin and Patreon. I don't know exactly what that will divide into. Maybe like hour 15, hour and a half up front and an extra hour or so something like that on the second side. But uh, there's a link to that in the show description and I'll make sure and put that in the chats as well when we get to that point. And all right, so where do we begin? I feel like maybe we should kick it over to Juan and let him give us a bit of an introduction into who the heck is Jack Marvel Parsons. <laughs> you know, I've been thinking that because I knew you you would ask me like for a little introduction and how I said in the in my episode, that's why I wanted to do like a full breakdown so we didn't get lost in the sauce with his biography on this episode, but pretty much I wouldn't call him my favorite historical figure but one of the most interesting historical figures that's for sure you mentioned nasa I'm repping nasa today right <laughs> uh, because if it wasn't for for parsons we wouldn't have nasa that we know today because he did help establish jpl and along uh, one of the things i always stress on my show is a lot of the things that we use today a lot of the things that o- originate from these historical figures a lot of these figures were mystics, okay? A lot of these guys that were doing these things back then, they were doing it mystically. There were, you know, uh, Rene Descartes, he had a lot of dreams that would come to him, and and that's how he got a lot of ideas. And Parsons, if you really think about it, he would never graduated, never had any resume that you would call an actual resume. He never graduated, never did anything, but yet he was unorthodox in his practices enough to be able to innovate this field of rocketry because during his time, He was, you know, was considered science fiction. So and I also want to draw some correlations between Parsons and Lovecraft, because I think we made the connection. uh, Mario uh, showed us those books on the second half of the Cthulhu episode. It was Kenneth Grant, right? The one that that wrote that book or Lavenda, Peter Lavenda, Lavenda. I think it was where he he draws the correlation between I was Tulu or something like that. and. Lovecraft, they wrote the same thing at the same time without having met each other. Now, I wanted to bring it like full circle. I said, how can we relate Jack Parsons into this? Now, at the age of, thir- uh, I think at the age of around the year 1927 or 1928, the same year that Cthulhu was published, mm-hmm. Jack Parsons tried to summon the devil. And su- <laughs> supposedly he did. Okay. According to him. And you can see it in the, in the show, Strange Angel, whatever, Dark Angel, whatever the name is. Uh-huh. So, but I also ran across some other synchronicities, if you will, that, that they, they clashed with other research that I was doing. And I was like, wait, 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 this is too much for me. This is way too much. Wow. Uh, So pretty much, you know, can I put a a cliff note in real quick? Because I just want to point out that what you're talking about with HP Lovecraft and Cthulhu. uh, Crowley, Crowley, yeah. And Crowley, that's kind of where we left off on our last show, which is awesome that we can kind of pick up there and build mm-hmm. out 
But I want to point out that that uh, that culmination of the fictional character known as Cthulhu, it is it's was born on Halloween night. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be important because I have found that uh, that little stitch in time. You know what else is born Halloween night, bro? What? JPL. <laughs> no way. I really? The, the nativity scene. Yes, it's the famous nativity scene. They call it the nativity scene. A guy who proclaimed to be the, the Antichrist and they recreate it at every open house with mannequins. Hit the I WTF pro- button. Hold on, Hit I got the you. WTF button. What the fuck? <laughs> so i'm telling you i'm telling you it was mind-blowing everything that i was able to connect but i want to i want to start at the beginning okay Okay. so he was born right and and gabe knows where i'm going with this he was born to uh, his father senior who is also tony stark's father is modeled after marvel senior (laughs) jack parson's father okay Marvel, uh, I believe uh, Iron Man is a Marvel comic. So you have the Suicide Squad, which is uh, DC Comics. You have that influence there, which they don't tell you where they got the name from, but use your imagination. Okay, Uh, we know that the lizards, they use symbology everywhere that they. Well, let's just point that out. Yeah, they called Parsons and his crew the Suicide Squad because they were so reckless with explosives. Mm hmm. Yeah, right. but but the Suicide Squad, the DC version, they don't say like, hey, we got this name from this. It was an inspiration. If you look, it's right. just like it was introduced in the 90s or the 80s. So right. and let's point out that's an SS. Yes. And I also so we have Marvel Sr. OK, whose father was an egg merchant. OK. The white side, they, they were egg merchants. Keep that in mind, egg, okay? Because this is going to be a reoccurring theme all throughout. We know the egg is very important to Crowley and, and alchemy. You have the egg. So the that was Marvel Sr.'s, what is it, an egg? <laughs> it kind of looks like one if you don't look too close. It's a selenite crystal. The cosmic so we have, egg. Yeah, we have Marvel Sr., and they, uh, Parsons, na- his birth name was Marvel. Okay. But his father had an affair, uh, with somebody and his mother, uh, so it was white side Parsons. I'm sorry. Uh, so the Parson family, which was his father, he, it was like eight or nine generations way, 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 way back. Uh, and, and I'm just going through all the notes in my head cause it's so much shit. Uh, like eight or nine generations. His great, 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 great grandmother was not directly connected to the Salem witch trials, but the people who sentenced her for being a witch were part of the Salem witch trials. Okay. She was the witch of Northampton. So the the last name Parsons is a quote unquote magical name, if you will. Okay. So when Jack's father had an affair and his mother divorced him, she never changed her last name. She kept the last name Parsons. Why? I don't know. But again, it goes way back. I trace, I trace the lineage back to the 1600s. Okay. The, the mid 1600s, this family comes from the, uh, an, an OG businessman, a lizard. Okay. Like they had money and very similarly to HP Lovecraft. Uh, his father was absent at the very beginning. As soon as he had, he had an affair with somebody. So he was always looking for that next father figure. Okay. His, grandfather was a father figure for him 
He had he proclaimed that he had an Oedipus complex, which we can get into later because that plays a role. But he would go on his whole life, right, uh, uh, wanting more. You know, the family fortune again during the depression got lost, similar to Lovecraft. Yeah, we have the dam that was in Lovecraft's family, where we have the Devil's Dam, where they would conduct the first uh, rocket blast offs, and then where JPL would be. Uh, near the devil's the, the devil's gate i believe it's called where jpl would be established uh you had the hillside strangler who would go around and position his bodies where they would did they did their first uh tests okay so people were going back because they believed that they had opened up a portal uh-huh. to another dimension at the devil's gate and people say that they hear bodies and or not bodies voices coming down from the the dam or whatever so you had the dam and then you had that Cthulhu connection that I was able to make at least 1927 and 1928. He summoned the devil, which in 1928 was when Cthulhu was first published. Now, another connection that I was able to make, uh, the color out of space on the magazine that that was published in, uh, Gernsback, he was a correspondent with, with Lovecraft. They were, they were pen pals. Now, guess who was reading that same science fiction magazine parsons was reading that same science fiction magazine and i also came across the arabian night connection that he supposedly was obsessed with arabian nights as well yes so they shared that affinity that same affinity now lovecraft talked about outer space and these other dimensional entities and stuff like that and parsons was all about you know wanting to blast off into space almost like an Elon Musk, if you will, that wants to leave this planet. They want to leave on the flying dick, this planet and go to Mars. Okay. Mars uh, plays a role into this too, because I mean, you had the, the, uh, the Cameron connection as well, his second wife. But as he goes on through his whole life, he's looking for, for the next thing and looking for that father figure. And eventually he stumbles across the OTO uh, the very, one of the first lodges here, the Agape Lodge, who, that just happened to be miles away from his house. And he gets involved in that and the Gnostic masses that they do daily and all this stuff. And that really set him off on his, cause mind you, Parsons was a guy that was blowing rockets up. He's seeing results. He's a scientist. He's seeing results. He's seeing things blow up. So in his occultic working, he's going to want to see results. You know, when we think about magic, it's like, oh, yeah. well, you do a little sand. Exactly. You, you wait for it and oh, <clears throat> that's all it is. No, no, this dude wanted results. He's talking about manifesting actual things. So he goes on, he starts calling the infamous Crowley or Cuckley, whatever you want to call him, Crowley, whatever, I don't care. He starts calling him beloved dad and he starts calling him his son. So they have that connection there. And eventually he starts to develop. He, bases off his so he's most famous for the babylon working okay that's like his his oh his we didn't occult. even bring in well i just want to point out too that there's a particular another character of interest that enters the scene here and then i'll let i'm gonna let you finish yeah <laughs> just it is so, it's just everywhere i mean elron it, is a big part of this too elron El, hubbard the elron yep. hubbard yes absolutely the elron hubbard so remember he was living multiple lives all at once he was living his scientific life his personal life and his occultic life so he had different names 
in these lives. Okay. And he was also a libertarian and he was a, uh, supposedly a communist sympathizer. So he had different, he had different, four different titles all at once. So he was essentially four different people all at once, but he would eventually go on to do the Babylon working with L Ron Hubbard, the L Ron Hubbard. And it was pretty much, I mean, I made plenty of dick jokes on the episode. It was pretty much them just, you know, doing the solo right and maybe to each other in the middle of the desert, trying to bring forth the, the, the whore Babylon. Now, mind you, this yeah, solo right, meaning they're Jack Parsoning off. Pretty much. Yes. Yes. Double, double Dutch. The essence of the wand, if you will, and use your imagination, ladies and gentlemen, it's, you know, the wand is, you know, the thing. So that, he made that ceremony up, that ritual, but it was based off of Crowley's Alamantra working, which that's the famous Iowas where he supposedly was in his, in his apartment in New York and he saw lamb, you know, or uh, I'm sorry. The Iowas is the, the pyramid one. Lamb is the one in New York. See, I'm getting, <laughs> getting mixed up. Uh, Iowas was in the, in the, in the pyramid. That's the one where he, where he was talk, being talked to, but uh, the famous lamb where he sees the, bulb headed uh thing gray whatever uh that was based off of crowley's uh working ritual so he did the babylon working uh supposedly some weird stuff happened there um and then you have comes in cameron uh marjorie cameron which that's where i wanted to really start off because that goes way deep uh you know after marjorie comes in he eventually blows himself up so we can talk about that of how, yeah, blows himself up. Some people said he was trying to, he summoned an elemental, a fire elemental and blew himself up. Other people say he was working on the homunculus. Other people said he was murdered. Some people said he committed suicide. So there's a lot of things there that we can go based off of. And I wanted to really go from Parsons and a little, a little bit beyond in the second half, we can maybe go past Marjorie Cameron and go push further because it, it, it doesn't stop at, at just Parsons. I mean, this is a thing, man. I even connected it to CERN. I mean, I, there I said I connected it to CERN where this is what they're trying to do. They're trying to open up portals to other dimensions to contact other worldly entities, which is what these guys were trying to do. So I don't know where you guys want to go from there, but I'm all over the place. Cause I just realized how much material it is. Oh dude, you <laughs> can't not, not just- go all over the place. Honestly, and that's pretty much the thing for me is that, you know, when you're talking about magic and magicians and stuff, you're talking a lot about Mercury and we're talking about Mercury, Hermes, Thoth, you're talking about the crossroads. And so uh, Parsons was at the crossroads of all of these really, really interesting historical events and personalities and things like that. So, I mean, it's just like the the time all of this happened at is very interesting. You know, um, the late 40s, early 50s, you know, it was post-World War II. Uh, obviously he did stuff with L. Ron Hubbard. Uh, he talked to Werner von Braun. He, you know, mm-hmm. he was corresponding with Crowley. Like there's just so many things LA at the time, you know, too. And Hollywood, he did stuff for the entertainment industry, right. Um, making explosions and things like that. And so it's just one of these things where, um, he's at the crossroads of so many fascinating topics, which is why he's arguably more popular than ever now. Wouldn't you say? I was looking on YouTube and I was like really surprised. I'm like, holy shit. I'm like, you can watch Parsons stuff like all week if you wanted to. You know, it wasn't like that a handful of years ago, I don't think. No, but see how many people know about 
Parsons. Like, uh, you know, I went to Kennedy Space Center not too long ago and uh, uh, JPL on one of the things. And I looked at my wife and I go, you know who that guy was? That dude was jerking off in the desert trying to summon demons. (laughs) (laughs) I want to insert my perspective on all this, an overarching perspective. Braden over in the Rockfin chat made a really great question. He said, y'all think that this will to leave the planet stems from a hatred of self leading to dislike of this world. And it all comes back to self for me. What I see this entire crew of from Lovecraft to Parsons and Crowley and of course, L. Ron Hubbard and their, their sort. It's, I believe, a big alchemical inversion. And the thing that they're trying to transmute is the world mind. And the, how I see it, it's really about getting people to believe in a fantasy-based reality and thus act out as if it were true and then make aspects of that fantasy thus become true. This is how I see it. So when it comes to like summoning rituals, summoning demons, I look at it like these guys are nearly schizoid. I mean, Sean put it really well, S.B. Alger, last night in the flow state, he brought up the idea that a lot of people, maybe the majority of people, they get into magic with a K and they're trying to make changes in the world based on their will, are deeply disturbed or dissatisfied people that don't like their lives. And so they are resorting to something extreme. I wouldn't make that a blanket statement across the board of all people interested in the occult or magic, but definitely with characters like this, there seems to be a lot of psychic disturbance going on. So when they're going out to summon demons, I look at it like they're giving control of their, they're they're like giving up control of their own body vessel to fragmented aspects of self that are cut off, that are stagnant, that are toxic. And they're talking to those things as if they're separate in a very schizophrenic, dissociative identity disorder type way and not recognizing, or maybe they do. I believe Crowley even did at some point refer to what he was doing as communicating with like frag, you know, parts of himself. Right. So Mm -hmm. that's how I see it. And I think this is what the real point of the whole thing is, is to get everybody in, in the world in a fragmented state, because if you believe in fiction over nature and reality, if you can disregard what your senses tell you and believe a narrative that you've been told rather than what you're actually experiencing and feeling and seeing, that does create a type of schism because now you have to wall off the part of yourself that has the connection to truth and to source. And even, I mean, just look at his name, Parsons. It sounds like persons. And persons are the very foundational fictional element that create this entire society that runs on, you know, corruption and, and the bad form of artifice. That's my best attempt to wrap up all the thoughts in one go. I love that. I got, I got something to totally pack on that while we're talking about his name, let's look at his modus operandi and then let's look at his name again, Jack P He's jerking off in the desert. Jack P. (laughs) Arson. He's an explosives expert. Jack P. Arson. So every missile he launches, he's singing the Crowley ode to whatever. The hymn to Pan. Open, O Pan, open, O Pan, and then boom, arson. Big explosion. It's all in his name. Right, right. 
Yeah, no, I I totally um, hear what you're saying with that. That makes a lot of sense. And then Chance, what you're saying, too, makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, these people are really they're heliocentrists, you know, and so I think this is part of the heliocentric sort of um, theme or lie or um, agenda or what have you the is always X. looking. Yeah, exactly. Always looking outside of yourself, always wanting to go somewhere else, you know? And I think there's a lot of irony with Jack Parsons too, because he was obsessed with space and he obviously is part of NASA's foundation, you know, an integral part of it. And he was obviously launching rockets and stuff, but man, I, I question the rocket launches that we've been seeing for the last <laughs> 20, 30, 40 years, you know, and what's going on there personally. So it's just like, I think of him as being maybe, um, you know, he put a lot of his efforts into developing this fuel and stuff and getting rockets to do their thing. But nowadays, you know, these are props for the masses, you know, because I, I personally don't think we actually go to outer space. That's that's one of my things. I don't know if it's possible. Yeah, and no, I I'm, I think it perhaps is, but you know, you have you know people are bringing up egregores too, in, in the chat, where that's also another thing. How what Chance was saying, how much of it is the psyche, how much of it is you coming up with these things? Because I can make anything up in my in my mind up. You and created I can that. Say that's what an egregore is, man. It is psychic thoughtful. energy that yeah. you've put into a container mm -hmm. in a different right. vessel. And I wanted to add, because you're, you're talking about mixing fiction with reality, uh, there was two instances where they, the first one, the, the Suicide Squad, it was Frank Molina and, and Parsons, they wrote a, a, a script, okay? And in that story that was supposed to serve as a script for a movie later on, Belvedere, the main character who is portrayed after Jack Parsons, blows himself up 15 years before Parsons blows himself actually up, <laughs> You know what I mean? So you have these projections of you, all right? Like this is because, you know, for those one, it's like, oh, what, it, why do they practice sex magic? Which is, is a big thing with the, uh, with the OTO and Thelema. Well, th the whole thing is at the point of orgasm, at the peak of orgasm, they believe that the subconscious comes out and you're connected to the universe. And when that subconscious comes out, you imprint things on that subconscious, either through sigils or through whatever it is. And kind of brand your subconscious it goes back into you and you forget about it and it later it's supposed to manifest itself later on so that's the, that's you know sex magic at in a nutshell pretty much it's like uh, you know they do these things because that orgasm they believe that they're connected to the one the source right, you know right and in the context of that think of what a nasty spell the challenger explosion was sure they combined the teachable moment of the trauma. With, Even killing a teacher, supposedly. With, teachable moment. With sex magic. From the, with the phallus of them. Uh, uh, so every, every launching off of Florida Peninsula is an ejaculatory expression of the flaccid dick of this country. <laughs> I don't what know. What the fuck? Other, there's no other way to phrase it. You know, you can't beat around that bush. You just got to get to the heart. No. Of oh, you're totally right, dude. And, you know, if we're talking about the phallus, um, whenever I'm with you guys, we're always going there. <laughs> we cannot bring it up, you know, uh, but we're talking about the pole. Right. And so a lot of the polar symbolism that I've been talking about has to do with the seven. And the seven is all over this, too. 
And so, uh, Juan, on your show, you mentioned something about, um, was it an entity telling Parsons that if he lived for seven more years, something, some sort of conclusion would occur? The Babylon working, yeah. Yeah. So you got seven years there. And then um, I know part of the Babylon working was um, basically reciting the uh, cry of the seventh aether, which there's 30 Mm -hmm. aethers. I thought it was very interesting that it was number seven. And then when you look at Babylon, and this idea, too, that's a whole topic we can get into is just what does Babylon mean? What does the whore of Babylon mean? Right. Uh, well, one of their main symbols is the seven pointed star. Right. And there's even Babylon written all around it. Right. And Crowley's group, the uh, Argentum Astra means silver star, you know. And so there's a lot of things going on here that I'm just seeing the same symbolism with seven and the ascension material and seven different steps to get from here to there and everything else. Um, but related to that, just because I mentioned Babylon, so they changed Babylon from B-A-B-Y-L-O-N to B-A-B-A-L-O-N, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For Gematria purposes. I'm not sure if you guys picked up on the reason for that, like the specific well, well, I gotta, reason. One thing I got to point out, it may not be the public side of it, but uh, on the twilight side of that word is balloon. And that is uh. one... And that is one of their main explanations for a lot of what people see. Oh, you just saw a weather balloon. That was just a weather balloon. <laughs> so it's very interesting that Babylon and the Babylon workings corresponding to UFO phenomenon has that word balloon in Bab- the new spelling of Babylon. But what How else? appropriate, too, because the b- balloon is almost like bail on. Yes. You know, you got two helio hex encodes in that word. Yeah, but what else were you going to say, Mario? What's the Gematria? Mario, good. What's the group name that you just said of Crowley? The Argentum Astrum. It sounds like Ad Astra, which is a company that they founded too, Melina and Parsons. Yeah, yeah. Their motto was right per Aspera Ad Astra, which means through hardship to the stars. Uh huh. Boom. Yeah. So Argentum Astrum is Latin for silver star. And so, um, do you mind if I share my screen real quick? Yeah, buddy. All right. Let's do this. Uh, so people yeah. might recognize this symbol, right? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so point. right there, you see Babylon all around in each tip. This yeah. AA stands for Silver Star, essentially. You know, and when you're looking at... um you know, a lot of OTO material, you are going to see this star, you know, there's a uh, bookshop locally called uh, dark star magic. And, you know, they use this exact same star. If you go to any OTO lodge or what have you, um, which I've been, you're going to see this symbol and you're going to see a lot of references to the whore of Babylon as well. And when you look at, Oh, am I still sharing by chance or no? Right. Yep. So this is the star card. So this is from Lon Milo Duquette. And so he's like a grandmaster for the OTO still. Uh-huh. Um, you know, you see the seven pointed star. I just thought it was interesting because we are talking about the star. Um, the lust card is very much related to the whore of Babylon, right? She's always uh, riding this beast and it's seven headed and she has a chalice of filth uh in one of her hands always this is always kind of like the classic motif right one thing i learned today from juan's show was that 
supposedly Parsons actually funded Crowley's Thoth Tarot. Yeah, I thought that yeah. was really interesting too, for sure. So uh, another, another Lon Milo Ducat card. So this is his version of Lust, right? So she's riding the Demiurge. So he also so, switches it the Crowley way to 11. Yeah. And then this was a short film I watched um, about Marjorie Cameron. This is mm-hmm. excellent, by the way. And she's an amazing artist. I have to give her props, dude. I, I yes. really like her aesthetic um, called the Wormwood Star. And then mm-hmm. here you see the seven pointed star. So it's wow. just all over the place with uh, this material, you know. Speaking well, of wow. stars, I'm wondering, like, you know, what was your impression of some of the interesting dates, Kaylee, that come up in this story? Oh, man. <laughs> well, <laughs> right. Just, oh, man. <laughs> uh, well, OK, so. I looked Before at we this, started, she was like, what are we doing, guys? <laughs> <laughs> right? Seriously, I'm like, ah. Anyway, um, okay. <sighs> I tried to find... Okay, so... <laughs> I'm like, where the fuck do I start? <laughs> I looked up Parsons' birth chart and the day that he died. Um, and I actually looked into the death to try to see, like, from an investigative standpoint, can you tell if it was an accident or if it was the result of nefarious tomfoolery or assassination or whatever the fuck, there's some definitely some shady stuff going on there. And then I looked up Marjorie's birth chart and I also looked up the dates that the Babylon working began to try and see what the fuck was going on up there. Um, and actually one thing that stood out to me that was really interesting um, is a cycle that's repeating right now, actually, is um, when the Babylon workings began, there was actually a Mars and Saturn conjunction in the sky, which is not really a a super rare thing. Like Mars takes about 18 months to go around the Zodiac. Um, But like just the, the energy of the, the Saturn of like, make it real in reality. um, And like the, the, the karmic kind of themes that come up with Saturn being like the Lord of death and all that fun stuff. And then Mars, which we already brought up was just mentioned. And there's some really interesting stuff going on in their charts with Mars, but the energy of Mars being like the warrior and like the, the energy to accomplish and to do things being conjunct in the sky, they're considered both malefic and (laughs) there tends to be a lot of kind of blowups literally or figuratively when those two planets come into conjunction. For example, just this couple of years ago, the last time Mars and Saturn conjuncted in the sign of Aquarius, we had lockdowns globally. So just, just one tiny <laughs> example of the energy of those planets playing out. So yeah, there was lots of stuff that I was trying to look at with this and I don't even know where the fuck to start. <laughs> The fact that Cameron's yeah. birthday is the same as mine. <laughs> <laughs> Different year though. Okay. It's okay. <laughs> also on the, on the topic of sevens, it's kind of neat that um, Parson's birthday is October 2nd, making him a Libra tropical Libra sun. That's the seventh sign. So. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Nice right little on. sink. They're all over the place. Honestly, even uh, I was watching a thing. Um, L. Ron Hubbard explained Scientology to people. It was actually fascinating to see him talk. I don't know if I've ever heard him talk at length before, but he has this whole entire diagram about like uh, a ba- 
basically your uh, conscious awakening. And so where people are at, so he would evaluate people and are like, okay, you're at this step or that step. There's like 34 sub steps. And then there's like six steps above that. But then he has seven tiers that are very, that are at the very top of everything. And I just thought it was interesting that none of them had numbers except for the top seven. And so I think that all Ron Hubbard, man, I mean, he was taking some of the stuff he learned in the occult world and obviously was applying it to Scientology and related to him. I was going to ask Juan if he knew anything about this, but dude, I am picking up more psyopy stuff with this whole saga than I did in previous years when I was looking into it. And I think that it comes from naval intelligence. And so there was three people that were in the Navy that were affiliated with this whole entire thing. It was L Ron Hubbard. I didn't realize that Marjorie Cameron was a cartographer for the Navy Mm -hmm. And then this new guy, Robert A. Heinlein, um, mm-hmm. he was also in the Navy. <gasps> and some people say that he maybe broke up that lodge and mm-hmm. maybe was up to some spy stuff, you know. I can I can add to that because there's a couple places we can take that because this whole thing led me to some very dark, uh, very dark parts of the Internet. Some black magic type of stuff, grimoire stuff that I was looking into that led from this allegedly right this is allegedly because it's history and we can't really prove it there's a lot of hearsay that's i mean i'm a conspiracy theorist so i can i can say this sort of stuff so uh they're saying that cameron she had an abortion after when she presented herself to parsons the first time and he freaked out and and wrote to crowley and said hey my elemental has shown up you know red hair green eyes and that writing on the Demiurge card, right, that that whole thing, that's also the the same title to Darker Than You Think, the the book. I forgot the author's name, but yep. Parsons was also very obsessed with that because in that book, a redheaded woman helps the main character, you know, emerge and come forth and be this, you know, harness his werewolf power and all this stuff. So. Uh, the the conspiracy is that when she had this uh, the first abortion after being in bed with Parsons for two weeks because he kept go- they said it was either Parsons it was either Cameron or Hubbard because he had they had to continue the working and again use your imagination if, if it was with Hubbard then you can you know they they were all having sex okay that's what they were doing and so that the tissue from that abortion supposedly was given to the government now. That's hinting at the conspiracy that the government had either a homunculus or was working to attain one. Now, this whole psyop thing, right? It, it points to that the government is interested in the occult arts and the dark arts, which we know that Parsons, there was very influential people in the Parsonage, and he was involved with the very influential people. Now, this was before the whole QAnon Hollywood pedophilia stuff. There was also allegations that they were sodomizing people in particular, one 16 year old boy. So mind you, this is, and, and the, the cops just wrote it off like, Oh no, it's okay. Mind you, this was before the whole pe- Hollywood pedophile stuff. So sure. I'm sure these guys were connected in some way, you know, shape or form because the whole dark arts thing, I mean, that's the, the whole, you know, children and stuff. I mean, we, we know what they do with it. We know how it works. Like that's part of it. So supposedly the tissue from this abortion, she gave it up to the authorities. Now, there was also, according to Michael Hoffman in his book, Psychological Warfare, Secret Societies and Psychological Warfare, that at the Trinity site, right, at New Mexico, the land of enchantment, when they were blowing up the first atomic bomb, uh, 
They put a cylinder at the site to radioactively create a homunculus. Now, for those that don't know what a homunculus is, it's pretty much a little magic man. Okay. It is the ultimate, the ultimate, I would say after maybe the, the philosopher Stoniel create being a God, creating a human being, a little human being with magical powers. Now that was part of the whole Babylon working to bring forth this moon child. We mentioned fiction and reality earlier. Uh, Crowley's the moon child book is about that. The uh, Rosemary's baby. I think that was another movie where it was about giving birth. There you go right there. Uh, Rosemary's baby was about giving birth to the antichrist. That's what they were wanting to do. They wanted to bring forth this, the, the pretty much the bad, the whore Babylon to, to strip away the sexual oppression. And they say that they were successful because in the sixties, right? The sixties, the, the hippie movement, you know, it's all love brother, you know, the sex, drugs and rock and roll type of thing, which paved the way for the satanic panic later on. So it's linked that PSYOP thing is linked to the homunculus and the fact that government entities are 100% interested in what these occultists were doing. We know that Warner von Braun and all these people were Nazis, you know, that they were, they were in the government and all this stuff. So Mm -hmm. I wouldn't put it past them that they are interested in the dark arts and want to be able to harness that power in order to use it for whatever they want to use it for. Super secret space soldier programs. Makes so with all of, you first. Okay. With all of the moonchild stuff and the dark feminine coming up, I was really curious from an astrological perspective to see what the role of the dark feminine played in their charts. And there's a few ways that you can look at this. There's one in particular that I was really interested in. Um, and that's the position of Lilith. Lilith in astrology, there's actually three. <laughs> so they postulated a long time ago that there's a second object that the moon orbited around that was invisible to us and called this Lilith. That's the moon's apogee. So there's the perigree and the apogee. The perigree when it's really big and close to the earth, the apogee is when it's really far away and really small. So like they, they, assumed and kind of figured that there was like the second object that the moon orbited around. So um, that was an interesting take for me to look at. And when it comes to like the moon child stuff and the position of Lilith in their charts um, in Marjorie's chart, it's, it's in a pretty prominent house and a pretty prominent place. And we can definitely get into that later. But um, for the, that for was the moon just, child, you said. Well, like just the 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 dark feminine aspects that come up, and like the the quest for power, and the the you know all of the all of the themes that she brings out, and the the idea of the Scarlet Woman bring out. Yeah, I thought that would be most obvious in the Lilith placements, and uh, that's actually kind of what I found. So. So I want to bring up a comic book connection here. This might be kind of obscure, but there's a very prolific Marvel comics author named Jonathan Hickman, Jonathan Hickman. And he wrote a story for image comics an independent comic. I'm bringing this up just to point out how permeated this entire thing is into culture. And, you know, Marvel, we're talking about Marvel comics. They've got a Captain Marvel. The original one kind of even looks like Jack Parsons, whose name was Marvel. So 
this uh, Hickman guy, he wrote a story called East of West, which is an indi- an indie comic. And it's uh, I won't give a huge synopsis of the plot, but some of the details are just really interesting. It's set in a dystopian 2064 United States where the Civil War never ended until 1908 when a comet hit Kansas and caused the uh, the war to go into an armistice because people had to like recover from that apocalyptic event. And the the nation split into seven different countries. Anyway, in the interesting the timeline of the story, the four horsemen of the apocalypse have incarnated into like living vessels. And three of them are trying to bring about the apocalypse and like kill all the humans. But ironically, death is actually like the good guy. He's the hero of the story. And he has the whole story revolves around him trying to save his son. And his son is called Babylon. And like the bad guys of the story have captured this baby Babylon and uh, inserted him into an AI reality all to basically he wears this helmet and he moves around. He's in the world and stuff, but he doesn't even know that he's wearing the helmet. So he's in a constant state of augmented reality. He spent most of his life just like hooked up in a matrix type simulation setup because they're trying to make him into the beast of the apocalypse. Whoa. And the wildest thing, because we brought up balloon, uh, (laughs) the, uh, the AI system that's like trying to train him to become the great beast is called balloon. (laughs) Oddly enough. And then there's some other interesting characters. Like there's a, one of the, the president of the remainder of the United States is named Antonia LaVey and <laughs> the, the governor of the Republic of Texas is named Bell Solomon. There's oh, a lot in that comic. It, it's a, it's oh, a yeah. really wild one, but so that's just permeating the culture. I just wanted to point out how like those ideas would be lost on most readers. Something that I want to bring up, actually, I was just talking about this um, not terribly long ago about the, the archetype of, Lilith and how she comes up and how she's been twisted by the new age community. Um, because this, this, this archetype and this thing in astrology was always viewed as more, uh, way more of a negative influence than a positive influence, especially if it's something that is, um, actually this ties right into what you were saying, Chance, not about the comic stuff, but about unintegrated shadow aspects. Lilith can represent things that we don't want to even talk about or look at and we shove into the back and when we do that it's very very basic psychology when we do that with different aspects of ourselves it tends to present itself from outside right and that often Lilith can represent that in somebody's chart like this is where you don't want to look where you need to actually look and um, with the a lot of new age astrology that I have seen lately were um I'm a recovering feminist. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just got to put that out there. <laughs> a lot of the astrology that I've seen about this is, um, well, no, this is your independence and your power as a woman. And that's great. But is there something darker there that you're actually not looking at that is actually acting out? through you or of you or whatever um anyway just kind of a side rant i it's really hard to find good information about a lot of these things because they've been tampered with it was it's very frustrating but this this archetype has popped up a lot lately and i feel like it's reflected in the babylon can i can i uh, i'm sorry kayla you done 
Can I add something to what uh, Chance was saying? Can I share my screen real quick? Because this is this is pretty mind blowing. Yeah, we'll talk nobody about- needs to ask permission to share their screen except <laughs> oh. you. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, so we're on the topic of comic books, right? And obviously, I'm working on a comic book right now. Uh, so I came across this because I was trying to dig a little bit deeper into how I was able to find a connection between Tony Stark and uh, you have the the connection of Tony Stark and Jack Parsons. And I came across this article, right? It says Tony Stark's real father revealed by Marvel and fans are not, are going to be talking. So interestingly, interestingly enough, uh, it pretty much comes out that the satanic figure in the Marvel universe turns out to be Tony Iron Man's dad. Now, uh, his father, Howard, said he sold his soul for the genius he gained and that Tony saw is owned by his real father being Satan. Now, uh, the guy's name, the, the villain's name is Mes- Mephisto, maybe like Mephis- Mephistopheles or something or whatever the, the demon's yeah, name Mephisto is. Mephisto is like the, the Satan of the MCU. We got yes. into Mephisto stuff on the Spider-Man stream. We're yeah. talking about the one, day, one more day mass ritual to make the world forget something. So they said that that was that was they were hinting that that was Tony Stark's father. Now you go here, he's paid a visit telling him and then here they have Tony was then able to recall that the devil he saw as a child was actually his father. Mephisto went on to explain that Howard Stark had sold Tony's soul at the end of the issue. Da, da, da. So even in the comic book, you know what? The father is modeled after Jack Parsons' dad. And then in the store, in the book, Tony says he saw, just like Parsons, the devil. And he's talking about, mind you, this is coming from a guy that said he was the Antichrist. Now, and I didn't mention that the Russellites, the, the Jehovah's Witnesses, their main guy on the birth of Parsons, on the day of the birth, he said that the Antichrist was going to come into fruition. Uh, wow. I, I don't don't recall the year, but on the birthday, not the year, the day of Parsons' birth, he said that the Antichrist is going to come out. And we know later on, he proclaims himself as the Antichrist. He says, I am the Antichrist. Yes. And he gives his name, you know, the Oath of the Abyss, where he's going to pretty much sell his soul off and go into the abyss that, you know, Nietzsche talks about and all these yeah. other guys. Because Frederick Nietzsche inspired yeah. Crowley and all these other guys. And Anton, okay. hey, we're going to have our hands full, Gabriel, because there's a very, very credible rumor that the Thanos of the next phase of Marvel movies, like the main overarching villain that connects all the the independent movies and setting up for a big Avengers thing like Infinity War, is uh-huh. Mephisto. Mm. Fuck y'all. Okay. Yeah. Stay tuned. Hold on. Hold on. This is so significant. Okay, so this ties into what Kaylee was saying about Lilith and those aspects of things you don't talk about that accumulate into a shadow, like a perceived, it's like an elephant in the room kind of phenomenon, eventually over time, multi-generational. And, uh, and we're talking about Tony Stark's father being from some unspoken origin, but somehow he's been moving around this elephant in the room his whole lifetime. It definitely has that uh, Lilith aspect, which also I want to correspond that aspect of the perigree of the moon, apigree of perigree of the moon, generating weird perceivable f- effects. Like they can see that the the moon acts this way, but they can't see what is in the space that it's reacting around. 
that parallels Pluto and Pluto's aspects of the process of them discovering that it's there. It was it pulls planets, it moves objects very subtly, and they can see the effects, but they can't pinpoint the actual object. So I just want to point out how Pluto, that uh, the dark moon, the dark feminine of Lilith, is a running theme here. The subunconscious, which is very Freudian, which is flooding the the whole world in those in those years, and uh, one more aspect is well, Pluto's about to return, which ties into the Lovecraft stuff that we can already did. Oh, right, right. So it's, yeah, it's a long process though because well, he's so damn slow. We didn't add though, Gabe. You're talking uh-huh. about Pluto and the Moon. I didn't yes. mention that they named a crater on the dark side of the Moon after Parsons and a, a feature on Pluto after Cthulhu's H.P. Lovecraft's Cthulhu. So you have That's that connection right. between the Moon and Pluto, yes. literally. And so much of the other things in the sky are named after mythological elements. So it's just like, are is the entire purpose of this in a sort of Chris Knowles or God's Wear Spandex way? Mm-hmm. This new marvels are really the new pantheon, the the new alchemical agent to transmute the world mind through fictional stories, and right. something that's been going on for a long time. You know, this oldest religion, this old cult, has been at sure. it for ages. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Um, One of the things I wanted to bring up, too, was just science fiction in general Mm. and how I think science fiction as a genre is mostly propaganda. And I think that the elites or whomever know that very well. It's so appealing to people. But when you really think about it, this is where people get their um, awareness or education, if you will, of space, you know, uh, because none of us have ever gone. None of us will ever go. But yet when we see a Marvel movie and they're going from planet to planet or we see the moon landing, you know, the moon landing to me is science fiction. So that's the whole entire deal is that when you're looking at that footage, you don't realize you're actually watching science fiction, but they're trying to sell it to you like it's the real deal. You know, so um, the fact that L. Ron Hubbard, right, uh, was a science fiction writer and then wrote what he did for Scientology and then as (laughs) wild as it gets in Scientology, too. You know, it's just kind of crazy. I just think it's really fascinating that Jack Parsons was really interested in science fiction, wanted to launch rockets, um, you know, and then the space race and the um, the space, uh, you know, various operations and agendas associated with it. You know, I'm not buying any of it personally, even the conspiratorial stuff. For Mario, I just saw how to Mario nice, nice. sound like Mario. There you go, man. I'll take it. I'll take it. What you said is really key, though. Yes. About sci-fi being, you know, taken as literal. It's true. I mean, everyone's idea of space is Star Wars. And it also breeds, going right back to that dissatisfaction with your life and with reality, how many of us right now, at a certain point when we were younger, after watching Return of the Jedi for the 400th time, we're like, man, I just wish that I lived in the time where I could, you know, <laughs> in a galaxy far, far away long ago where I could actually go in to planet to planet. Right. That's right. There's yeah. a, dis- a disappointment and dissatisfaction that that world isn't your world. And you just yeah. continually escape into it through video games, through I mean, video games are the big one now and, and movies yeah. and, and books. And there's nothing wrong with fiction in and of itself. It's just that 
we're getting confused about what's real as a society and have been maybe for maybe for thousands of years, honestly. Mm-hmm. And also the the people even now just saying like, I can't wait for the aliens to come and just take yep. me to Mars. And like, yeah, exactly. Can I, go ahead, Mario. Go for it, dude. No, no, go for it. You know what you're saying, Chance, right? Devaluing and demeaning this life, this world, right? Because that was one of the thing that Nietzsche, which Crowley and all these other guys got inspiration from. He was he criticized the Greeks because he was a philologist and he studied the Greeks in depth and, and he looked to them and he would write. He, he even signed as Dionysus and all this stuff. And he even signed as the Antichrist at one point, too, when he was losing his mind towards the end of his life. Let's but one of the things get that uh, that pan poem. Mm-hmm. Sure. So we should probably even like, I don't know, recite some of that. But continue. We'll hold that thought. Yeah, don't don't recite anything, bro, please. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the the whole idea that the Greeks talked about, you know, you have an Examander, uh, an Exagoras, where he talked about how this is a, this world is a, is a reflection of a more divine world. Well, that de- that demeans this world. You know, like, why would I want to be here if there's a more divine world? There's a reflection of a more divine world up, up somewhere else. I want to leave. I'm like Elon Musk. I want to peace out of this this planet and just leave. And like how you're saying this, this association almost and wanting to be these characters. Cause Gabe and I, and, and Rachel, we did a, an esoteric Eddie yesterday. We did a stream on movies, right on the tomb Raider where we grew up watching these movies, wanting to be like these people in this science fiction. You know, I remember, you know, bro, when I was growing up and listening to 50 cent, I wanted to be 50 cent son. I'm like, yo, I want to be, I want him to be my dad. You, you look to all these other people to like be mm-hmm. your, your own family and you associate with them on a level. That's kind of, it's kind of creepy. <laughs> I mean, here's Futurama. The, yeah. It's a sci-fi comedy, but there's so much of it in, in that particular meme. Right? Sums up. If that monkey skull, there's yeah. your, your social Darwinism. Mm-hmm. Make him want to hate his fellow man. So, so much. That's amazing. Yes, yeah. exactly. Right. So and what's I, really go ahead. Well, I found an interesting weave to just kind of correspond all of this with a Tomb Raider breakdown from yesterday. Just so no, leave no hanging Chad behind. Um, turns out Jack Parsons in high school studied fencing and archery. Mm-hmm. And that ties it into uh, many aspects of the hunter uh, worship that we've been seeing. That gives us Kill Bill is definitely a, the hunter, the great hunter, Diana. Uh, and also Tomb Raider and Katniss Everdeen. All yes. of these archetypes of our modern day culture probably have really firm roots with hailing back to old Jack Parsons. Absolutely. And, and, and it blows my mind that that the people again, and it's not just Parsons. It goes way before that. You know, you have Isaac Newton. You have the founding fathers. You have all these guys who are mystics. And yet a lot of the things that they contributed to the scientific world we use today right and uh what were you gonna say mario sorry if i cut you off. oh no worries oh i I was just gonna bring up the fact that you know there's all this uh ufo stuff too post babylon working that's really interesting you know and so uh do i have it right that the babylon working was 46 i think so yeah yes so, you know, uh, 1947 has been on my radar for years and there's yeah, so right. many things going on in 47. I have a whole list right here. I don't have to go through all of it, but Roswell was 47. 
project paperclip that plays a big role in all this stuff right um cia was born cia nsa um and that was due because of the uh, national security act so there was this like big restructuring that happened in 1947 so this is where i'm pretty sure this is where uh, the air force it was started in 1947 um there's all of these different things uh, operation high jump was 1947, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Admiral Byrd and everything else. The Kenneth Hollow Arnold Earth. sighting. Mm-hmm. Hollow Earth stuff. MJ-12 started in 1947, oh, which I thought was really interesting. Also, uh, the Black Dahlia murder, which happened in L.A. as well, and has some weird occult things going on with it, with how the woman was um, basically cut up and mutilated. Which um, Marvel emphasized in the Spider-Man movies repeatedly. The new What, ones. really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, and the the so Peter Parker buys the Black Dahlia as a gift, a necklace for MJ, and Whoa. it gets broken, it gets mutilated, it gets destroyed, and she wears it anyways. What the oh, fuck? Damn. Very very symbolic of people uh, Catholics wearing a murder scene on their necks. Yeah. Thing. Whoa. We got and some that, creep in the chat like repeating some weird Latin invocation. Yeah, can you I'm gonna boot go him? ahead and boot that <laughs> He threw me off please. earlier. That's what I was getting at. He's fucking doing some weird shit there, which <laughs> that's creepy. Yeah. But yeah, so nineteen forty seven as a year was insane. And so um Hell's Angels too. It just kind of goes on. Dead Sea Scrolls discovered. Uh, that's yeah. when Crowley died. Too. Yes. And uh, yes. Hillary Clinton was born. People have tried to make the Hillary Clinton um, birth Hilarion. be part of the Babylon working. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hilarion was the, the magical name that Cameron, that Parsons gave to the Babylon, the whore Babylon. And then Cameron took that and adopted that name later on, even though he had never told her that name. But since she was astral projecting, she said that she was talking to him. So who knows? And we failed to mention too that senior Marvel senior was Marvel H uh, Parsons. uh, HP. uh, Yes. HP. Exactly. HP. So he was an HP, which high priest, hierophant, whatever you want to call it. He was also an HP. And that's the Blavatsky, HP Blavatsky, HP Lovecraft. It goes on. Yes. I want to toss out there too. This is just a quick tidbit about the fiction side of this and pertaining to Marvel specifically. Again, the other thing about the fiction, the way it's wielded is not just to get people to believe in things that aren't real, but also to make them not believe things that are real. Exactly. As distasteful as it was to watch, I checked out the Punisher TV series and man, it's brutal, but there's something in it that just completely blew my mind, which was that, there is a disclosure in that series and it's very triggering that the CIA, this is like the, the bad guy of this, this plot of this show is a CIA agent who was responsible for smuggling drugs back to the United States sewn into the corpses of KIA us soldiers. So that's a real thing that really was happening. The, the point of connection was for the, uh, the heroin trade and the opium and yes. This all connects back to our 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 black magical cast of characters we're discussing because they were totally fueled by drugs. That's right. Mm-hmm. And that yes. puts a whole new spin, a whole new light on the word body bags. Mm-hmm. Uh, bags oh, totally. were, yeah, you're right. <laughs> and that's and that's a BB, which is 22. 
Master so, Builder, yep. build, build back better, y'all. <laughs> and can can we also add that? Uh, what was I going to say? I completely blanked out. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, the whole point of what I said, just to finish it up, I, I forgot to mention if it wasn't clear that that plot is inserted into the fictional story of Punisher so that you'll think, oh, that's a ridiculous and not real. This is a fictional story. And then when you hear about it later down the road, you know, you've already been pre-programmed to disbelieve that it's a conspiracy theory. Yep. I, yeah, I, I remembered what. Yeah, absolutely. Like, the, again, and, and what I remembered was the fiction with the reality and the story that I mentioned at the beginning that's going to add on to what you're saying, Chance, is that they predicted the character that portrayed Parsons in their little script that blew himself up 15 years before Parsons actually did blow himself up mm-hmm. in that same script. One of their characters that was Chinese and mind you, this was when communism and take down the communists and all stuff was going crazy. He actually got extradited to China and became Mao's like father of uh, he taught Mao about rocketry and ICBMs and all this stuff. So if it wasn't for the drugs that you're talking about, that the government implant, uh, you know, implanted in these bodies and shipped it over. These guys maybe would have never gotten hooked on drugs. These guys wouldn't have done what they actually done. And the world would have been completely different if Parsons wouldn't have done what he did. And I've been tossing around this idea that the, the elixir to, uh, you know, eternal life that the alchemists look for, because at the core of it, these guys were alchemists. They were mixing chemicals together and making things happen. I think that the, the elixir of eternal life is them living on in people's minds, like parasites in their minds, like a Cthulhu esque type thing. For forever, because we're going to bring be be bringing this guy up. up. Here we are talking about him. Exactly. You know yep. what I mean? Like forever. This is going to this is history. This is this is it. There's no redoing yep. it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, didn't they ultimately uh, start using uh, like chemicals for cement and pavement as in rocket fuel to give it more weight and umph? Yes, I, that was later on. They added more surface area to it. Yeah, uh, it's, it's all technical, but yeah, they went from from liquid to solid, and then after that, I forgot what else. But yeah, they, you're you're absolutely right. They were mixing it with tar. I think it was nice. So, yes, mixing with tar. So, so in that aspect, there is uh, the axiom of all roads leading to Rome. They are because they are using the same material that paves the roads when they shoot these things into the sky, even those pathways that those rockets are, are trailing, those are roads leading mm-hmm. to Rome. And this ties back to the Cthulhu thing we did because Rhodes, Rhode Island is on the 41st parallel, goes lines right up with uh, Rome. And then, wow. okay, so road is also the C, R-H-O-D-E. And we got Cecil Rhodes. There's a lot with road. So we got cast, you know, there's a, a phonetic link there. And I mean, talking about the, the fallen aspect or the corrupted divine feminine, right? I mean, they're putting black tar, black goo. Right. In the yes. thing in the sky roads fuel. It's very exactly. interesting. I Los mean, Angeles. We have angels. to, I think this is a point where we should really emphasize what scientism is a, a thing that we haven't got into, but I know we've discussed outside of this, that Gabriel, I think maybe you're equipped to describe this for us, that scientism, as you call it, seancism, it is not a materialistic pr- pursuit. It's only presented that way to us in the 
public, but in the private, all the great science that's done that actually achieves any kind of lasting impact on the world is alchemical, like Juan is saying. Yes. Yes, very much so. I, I think of uh, the the word science. Why do you call it seancism? Yes, science is like a seance because they are e- evoking the names of men of renown who are long dead and unable to come and represent or state their case. But in their names, we evoke their names for the conversation in order to pretend like we have the ability to predict future outcomes. <laughs> In in that aspect, science is necromantic. We are calling out the names of Einstein and summoning his work, his his magical formulas. We're summoning them by calling out his name and using them to pretend like we can see the future because Einstein gave us this formula. It's incredibly uh, uh, necromantic in that light. Yeah, it's necromantic in a few different ways, I would say, actually, too, because mm-hmm. it's basically scientism is is like anti-spirituality, in, in my opinion, mm-hmm. and anti-individuation, too, you know, nice. looking at it psychologically. So to me, it's a uh, it's a it's another solar program, heliocentric program, the way <laughs> yeah. scientism is kind of like presented to us and everything, because they don't want you to acknowledge, you know, the spiritual realm. They want you to think that everything uh, is based off of physical materialism, right? And so the material world came first, everything else came after that. And so that's why you don't learn about the meaning of Mars, but you'll know how far it is away, supposedly, mm-hmm. and you know how big it is, you know, how many light years some of these planets are away or what have you, some of these stars, but they don't tell you the meaning. Meanwhile, I mean, all throughout history, people have talked about the meaning of Mars, you know? So to me, it just kind of blows my mind that you're taught to like create like a solar system with the moon and the sun and this and that, but you're never taught what they actually mean. You're just, just a taught, rock. Yeah. You know, and then they just want to label everything, you know, and categorize everything, you know. And so that really does something to the psychology, right? When you think everything should be measurable and you can poke a stick at anything and, you know, if you can't measure it, it doesn't exist or what have you, you know. So to me, it's just a way to kind of condition people out of being spiritual and understanding what's going on in the spiritual realm. And then the people who promote, their, you know, encode that- their magical numbers and things into it. How we're yes. talking proudly. How far away do they tell us the sun is? 93 million miles away. <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What were you going to say, Kaylee? That that to- that totally ties into to when you take a part of the psyche and shove it off to the side, it comes back in very interesting and sometimes dramatic ways. Like, for example, with spirituality, that's I view that as more of the feminine part of our, our brains, right? And Michael Sarian does amazing work on this talking about this 100%. So yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. And occultism is a lot about the feminine. That's why Marjorie Cameron was needed. Occultism is about a lot of the hidden things, right, in in this realm or reality or what have you. So they were doing uh, womb magic in part, Mm -hmm. you know, and a lot of occult activity is basically um, people mirroring feminine attributes and characteristics and things of that sort. So it's it's very much part of their whole entire framework of how they look at everything. I bet we're going to get into the homunculi concept of probably in the second half. I yeah, hope so. I wanted, <laughs> wanted to, to bring that up. Yeah, we'll save that for the second half, but absolutely it's, it's cause I want to touch on something that Kaylee said. So 100%. I want to get now, Kaylee. Now we're in the second half. <laughs> I want Kaylee to break down 
uh, one of the many charts that she shared with us for the first half um, so that we get some more Astro logos look, in this section. Do you, look at, do you want to look at Parsons or Marjorie? Well, maybe we should, if we do Marjorie, maybe save her for the second half because yeah. we also want to elaborate more on who she was in, in this whole tale. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, you can pull up Parsons' birth. We'll start. Let's start there because I I feel like this ties in some interesting stuff together. Yeah. Okay. So Jack Parsons. So the time that I got for this supposedly came from a birth certificate, but I mean, you know, with with all of these things, we've got to take it a bit of a bit of several grains of salt, but. If the time is right, then that means he was born of the Gemini Ascendant, making Mercury, surprise, surprise, his chart ruler. That's the Descendant. There you go. <laughs> I was said. Yeah, there you go. That's the Ascendant. <laughs> anyway, um, so Sun and Gemini, Moon and Pisces. Um, there's two big features that stand out to me right away with his chart. Um, there's two Grand Water Trines in this motherfucker chart. So a Grand Trine just to refresh everybody, is when you have um, a planet or luminary in each of the elements. This guy has six <laughs> points and planets in the water signs specifically, make, giving him two grand water trines in water, which is crazy. That's uh, an extremely, that's someone that's extremely tapped in to the psychic and to, or to the psyche and to the feminine. Um, and what's kind of interesting to me about that is some of the stuff that I did hear about um, his his writings about libertarianism and um, uh, his like reverence of the feminine or but like a twisted reverence of the feminine. Anyway, he has a lot of feminine aspects in his chart um, with the father thing. So I heard that his father actually died in the psych ward, much like Lovecraft's father. I don't, that's, that's an allegedly at this point, I don't know 100% mm -hmm. for sure. But when it comes to the father, there's a few like planets or luminaries that you can look at to kind of see like that archetype. And right in his first house, he has Pluto conjunct Saturn. The, the first planet that I would look at for the father archetype is Saturn. And you've got Pluto right on top of it in the sign of Cancer. So that's right in his first house chance. Yeah, there you go. So that is like that conjunction. Um, most recently it happened in the eighties. Oh, I guess actually 2020, <laughs> right? 2020 happened. I forgot. I blanked 2020 out, you guys. <laughs> uh <-huh>. So anyway, <laughs> Saturn and Pluto on top of each other like that, especially in cancer, this is like extreme power and control. So on one hand, if you've got an aspect like this, it's like, it can be really beautiful if you work with those archetypes, but if you don't work with those archetypes or you've never had a positive father figure to begin with, this is like number one, extreme issues with authority in your life, but also like um, you end up exerting extreme power and control issues outside mm -hmm. of you, right? Like it's, it's a mirror, right? Ah, oh, so that sticks out huge. And it's in his first house. In your first house is one of the most important houses of your chart. It, it, it basically lays out, um, huge parts of your personality and your health. Um, so that's huge. And then it's in, it's in that cancer sign. And we're talking about a guy who's trying to like 
break through the the dome, right? And cancer totally. is the keystone of the arch. Yep. Yes. The moon yes, child. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Moon yeah. Any cancer. Yeah. He has. He also has Neptune. Like I can't. Um, I can't remember if that's on zero degrees. Leo, could you um, zoom into the the chart at the bottom there, Chance? No, <laughs> I'd have to. Final. Just I'll, I'll just I could, look. But take me okay. Second, it, like, okay. Sorry. No. I can see it. Oh, yeah. So that's at zero degrees, Leo. Anyway, that's that's crazy to me. Okay, so a couple other things that are interesting about his chart, right? So in the 10th house at the very top there, um, the very top of the chart, we have the sign of Pisces. He's got his moon in Pisces. He has Chiron in Pisces. And he has the north node in Pisces in the 10th house. And just on like a symbol, like uh, just on just pure symbology level, this is interesting because he's aiming up. So he's the nodes, right? You're aiming towards your North node. Um, and the 10th house is your, it's your most public house. It's your vocation. It's your like career. Um, and he's got Chiron there, which symbolizes some kind of wound. Um, ultimately you're supposed to like heal with Chiron, but we're not talking about, about a very balanced individual. So we're not going to worry about that, but you've got the moon, you got Chiron, you got the North node. So he's aiming up He's literally wounding. shooting for the moon. He's wounded, literally, quite literally. But in Pisces, the moon is lost in Pisces. The moon is um, dreaming when it's in Pisces. Because Pisces is about the dream realm, the subconscious, the spiritual realm, also isolated places. Um, so, <laughs> sorry for anybody that has moon in Pisces. <laughs> it's, uh, it's an interesting placement for sure. Um couple of the things that like really stand out to me is as far as like um, contributions to science goes for that, I look at Aquarius and he has a Jupiter Uranus conjunction in Aquarius with the 10th house cusp in Aquarius. Um, so <laughs> scientism is dark side Aquarius. Positive side Aquarius is like decentralized groups and like actually making humanitarian adjustments for the world. And there's some really nice things that can come with Aquarius, like advances in science that actually help people. But dark side Aquarius is cults, is organizations that are the opposite of that, quite literally, um, mass organizations. So you've got the ruler, the modern ruler of Aquarius and Jupiter. Jupiter expands everything he touches. Even if it's something bad, he expands it. But the Jupiter Uranus conjunction right in the ninth house there, that's like searching for higher philosophies. And um, literally, again, that's the symbolism of shooting for the moon, um, especially with the 10th house cusp falling right into Aquarius. That's like, this is going to be my legacy. And it then it literally was his legacy to okay. have all of these crazy scientific advancements towards science yeah. in general. But so in the Pisces really sign, I mean, doesn't Pisces carry a lot of the energy of deception? Yes. Yes, it does. So this, the deceitful nature of the shooting for the moon story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Right. 100%. Good point. Exactly. And right. Pisces rules the moon card, yeah. by the way. Yes, exactly. And and we kind of think about the the myth of his death, the expansion, and the disappearing afterwards. He he got blown up. (laughs) And what's really interesting about that that you mentioned, Gabe, is he he has a Mars, um, a Mars Mercury conjunction squaring 
to Uranus. So a square, that red line going from the Mars-Mercury conjunction up to Uranus, that's a a difficult aspect. And when you have Mars in a a tough aspect with Uranus, it tends to be rather explosive. (laughs) And he literally played with explosions. Scorpio, where it's hanging out? It's in Scorpio. Uh, Scorpions have that weird dynamic of when surrounded by a ring of fire, they will sting themselves to death if they can't escape. Oh, yo, I didn't know that. Dude. Okay, that's very interesting. That's very interesting. Um, Yeah, one other thing about his chart, when you think about um, the feminine roles, like the females in his life, but also like his relationship with the feminine, you look for Venus and you look for Moon. So Moon, I already talked about, she's lost. She's a little bit lost. Dreamy, I'd say. Um, in Pisces. And then with Venus, Venus is considered not very strong in Scorpio because she tends to get very, very um, deep into the esoteric and the occult, um, almost on an obsessive level. And that doesn't mean that if you have Venus in Scorpio that you're like doomed to that, but people, one of the tendencies is that you tend to go into very intense and quick relationships that are very, very extreme. And that's just, a, it's a general tendency. So like, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't damn anyone with that placement to having to live that way their whole life, especially if you work on it. But we're talking about this particular gentleman and we know a lot about this guy. So I feel safe in saying that. Um, yeah. Guys, any questions? Good stuff. No, that's awesome. I mean, I don't have any questions. Just adding to the watery thing. Um, you know, a lot of people symbolically link water with space, you know. And so mm. as it's sold to us, you go to space and you're floating around, you float in water, you know, you need a vessel, you have to wear a suit supposedly, and you have like an umbilical cord, you know, that's hooked up to like the rocket or shuttle or what have you, you know what I mean? And so, um, and then also the moon child too, it's very feminine. And so he was just Mm -hmm. chasing this feminine energy as well. Um, You know, and I think space is very much a representation of that. So we haven't even talked about all of his antics with women. Yeah. But if you want, like, this is why it's such a good conversation to build off of what Juan did because he goes really really deep into that. I hope people check that out. Uh, Is there anything we want to say about his son or is more about his Mercury? I do want to mention, actually, because I, I spoke about Lilith earlier, Lilith in his chart. Um, I I pulled up um, a couple different versions of Lilith. So the symbol for Lilith is the crescent, the crescent moon with the cross underneath it. And it's, it's sitting in his 12th house. So that just really adds on to the narrative of him taking this this archetype, this darker feminine archetype, and it being shoved into his subconscious because the twelfth house is literally your subconscious. Um, so that's that was just kind of interesting to me and popped and out. And in Taurus, which is the divine feminine of all the signs, like the the most mother exactly. oriented, really. Yeah. So, so there. So we haven't talked about his his Oedipal issues there, but yeah. putting Lilith in Taurus in the twelfth house means to me that does reflect his whole like the the rumored stories about his actual uh, ancestral relationship with his mother. Mm-hmm. His mother, in fact, even committed suicide when she found out he had died. Yep, six hours after, mm-hmm. I, I believe. Yeah, that's crazy to me. Um, but yeah, with. Oh, there's so much to talk about. So fourth house, so moon, 
would be mum, but also fourth house, number four. And the fourth house cusp is labeled IC on the chart. It's in Leo. Uh-huh. And um, it that's ruled by the sun. So we got the sun. His sun is in Libra, and it is squaring the Pluto and Saturn conjunction. So that is just, that's taking um, all kinds of authority figures and like they're all working at a crosshairs. So that's, <laughs> that's really interesting. Um, but then you have like, if you think of the sun as the mother figure, because it rules the fourth house, um, then you have mom, the figure of mom um, exerting power and control over him early in life and then you have like you have the oh man (laughs) with pluto being in cancer and cancer also being a sign that represents the mother and nurturing then you have all of the dark aspects of pluto coming uh of pluto bringing all the dark aspects of cancer up to the surface like the overbearing mother or the um uh as was mentioned earlier the oedipus stuff so that's interesting that those that plays into his chart quite a lot. Can I add on to what you were talking about the father figures, right? Cause his first father was absent. He found a father figure in Crowley and then he found a father figure in the Smith guy who stole his second girlfriend and, oh, yeah, fuck. you know, and, and was uh, his, I'm sorry, his original wife and they ran off and they, he was literally, they had a child, they were having sex with her, you know, with each other. So this guy was looking in all the wrong places for a father figure. And then what you're saying, like he did have a problem with authority, 100%. And after the loss of his first wife to the other guy, everything. And then L. Ron Hubbard comes in. He starts doing stuff there, too. Everything fell apart because, again, that butting heads with, you know, with authority. You know, it's it's absolutely not. I don't really believe in astrology all that much. But every time, like when you broke mine down, I was like. (laughs) She doesn't know me. There's no way that she can know that. <laughs> <me>. <laughs> <laughs> I saw your soul, sir. But, in, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and what's really interesting too is like the sun can also like the sun rep really represents like your conscious awareness and your ego. So when you have hard aspects to the sun with Pluto and Saturn, there really tends to be a lot of ego clashes in your life until until you learn to really like work with that archetype on the inside. So. Yeah. Good times. This I don't believe in point. it, but you're right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll give it where credit credit where credit is due, you know what I mean? Uh, I think this is a good point to start wrapping up the first half. I've really am impressed with what we've put together here and I know that there's a lot more weird to discuss when we start talking about the homunculi and more of the feminine uh the feminine characters in his life and his relationship to them and who knows what else. So, and definitely more astrology, right? So let's go ahead and go back around our table here and remind people where they can find us and any closing thoughts you want to leave the YouTube people with. I posted it in the chat, the Rockfin stream uh, URL. You could also get this on my Patreon later. I'll upload it tomorrow after we're done. But if you want to continue watching live, hop over to Rockfin. When we finish wrapping up this hour, I will or hour and a half, I will play us some uh, interlude music. We'll have a brief intermission. There'll be a countdown timer, and you'll know how long you have to switch over to the Rockfin side if you want to keep going. This has been some real interesting gravy. I appreciate you guys a lot for coming out and watching, and definitely the Dreamstream team here. You guys are awesome. 
<laughs> so uh, yeah, let's just go around clockwise again. Everybody tell people where they can find the stuff and it, you know, closing <laughs> thoughts for things that we've brought up so far. God, <laughs> there's too many chads. <laughs> we're we're going to have to well, go back to them all. <laughs> shit, leave the chads for hour two, but if there's anything yeah. that pops into mind that you want to say before we wrap up, you know, do your um, best. Yeah, I don't know, man. I feel like if this guy had made some serious efforts to look within instead of always looking without, his life could have been different, but that's not the reality that we live in, so that's not what we're talking about. Um, <laughs> yeah, look, my name's Kaylee. Hi. Um, I've got a channel on Telegram, Kaylee Bracana, also YouTube, and several other places you can find me. Just search for my name. And you do astrological services for people, and you're yes. amazing at it. And everybody I've yes. ever known that got a reading of their chart from you was just raving about how above and beyond you are. Eve, even one who doesn't believe in astrology. Even me, and I don't even believe in it, so that tells you a lot. <laughs> Nice. And then uh, once again, my name is Mario from Symbolic Studies. You can go to SymbolicStudies.com and find all of my channels from there. Um, And as far as closing thoughts are concerned, I just honestly, I feel like I had a better grasp of Jack Parsons story before this recent sort of um, uh, dive into his work. And so now I'm not sure how much I believe (laughs) this whole narrative. Honestly, I think that there's some fuckery kind of going on uh i think there's some hoaxy stuff i think there's intelligent stuff kind of happening so um i can't make heads or tails over the actual truth of things as an example just throwing this out there real quick did he even die you know we know of people who have basically done the machiavelli thing right and then just bounced and then maybe he did go to mexico after all and he's just chilling down there dude i had maybe that was the plan so that he could you know live the seven years he had sure. probably people that wanted him dead. <laughs> totally, <laughs> totally. There's, there's aspects of his story that kind of ring that way. Yeah, exactly. That question so. came up while I was looking at his death chart. So I was like, what the fuck's going on here? Sorry. Anyway, we'll, oh, get we'll, we'll look at that in the second half. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's my final thought for the first half. Nice. Yeah. I, uh, there are so many fun things to get into. I hope everybody comes over to the second half because uh, we are going to expound to whole new levels. Um, one thing I'm hoping to bring over there is uh, just a quick uh, summation of fictional monsters and how they come into existence uh, with just a quick little psychological breakdown. And I want to point out that uh, everything about this guy and his crew and his clique and all of the things that they bring forward, nice, is uh, building up to the new, uh, the new scare in the new scariant uh, of our modern day. And, you know, they're basically giving us all the ingredient list for all the things they're going to scare us with. And we're going to decode and uh, exercise those demons in the second hour. So hope y'all come join us. Well said. I'm Juan from the Juan Juan podcast. Yes, I did an episode that released on Monday, episode 85, all on Parsons, plenty of dick jokes. We did Crowley impersonations in there, which was awesome. And, (laughs) Yeah, I just I want to stress that it doesn't stop with Parsons. It continues and it's linked to a lot more people throughout all of history that we've through recent history, more recent that 
you know, uh, were very influential. And I got some ideas I want to toss around in the second half that I want to see where, where it goes. So yeah, find me at the one-on-one podcast on all social media platforms, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff. And thank you for making this happen, Chance. Yeah. Oh, you guys are the reason it's happening. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, I'm just playing producer over here and maybe chiming in with some thoughts that you guys are generating in me, but all praise, all thanks, all honor to you guys for the independent research and studies you've done on this subject and, you know, the many hours and years of time you've spent looking into related topics that give you the expertise we are able to enjoy in this awesome panel. And I, I mean, Maybe this should just be a thing. I'm, I'm totally happy to keep this team going uh, for future decodes because it's a really cool assortment of knowledge bases and perspectives. I'm I'm super into it. You know, a lot of times when you get more than three or four people into a show, it can become really noisy and a lot of a lot of conflict, like clashing attempts to get your point in. But you guys are just the most respectful and wise people that we could get on so much love to you all i'm gonna hit the uh the music we're gonna jump over to the rockman half about four minutes of intermission yeah spider verse just make sure not to get too close to the to the truth because you know what yeah that's what ends up happening so i gotta go (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i hope someone screenshots our faces of when the knock happens because we're probably all just like whoa (laughs) and we've heard that sound bite before uh, love you, man. And guys, congratulate Juan. He got on to Rockfin recently. If you're Rockfin oh, people, nice to, to there That's and awesome. look for the one-on-one podcast. It's a much better place to watch things than YouTube anyway, because they actually support us back. Working on it, yeah. So yeah, okay. Here's the link one more time in the chat. And we're going to hit the music, take our break, and see you guys on the second half. Flies across the sky, where it goes. 